Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. So here I am, sitting above the rushing waters down below, having just seen what happened with Glarung and Turin. And before I get into the rest of the details, we're getting very close to the end of the story. I have to think about their conflict, the nature of Turin and Glarung, and specifically Glarung as a villain. He's an interesting character. And as I think about this, I start to notice certain things about his character. And if I were to sum up the the characteristics about Glarung that make him a villain, you can't include things like drive or uh, a will to succeed. I mean, these are just general qualities that are that are tools, and they're they're good in the hands of somebody with good intentions, and they're evil in the hands of somebody with evil intentions. So, what makes Glarung truly evil? And I believe that it lies in his manipulation of others. the The fact that his main go to weapon when it comes to Turin, or uh, Neonor is deception. He takes away their ability to make their own choices. He confuses them. He puts them in a fog. It's not just that he's a big, strong, toxic, fiery villain or monster. It's that he is manipulative and he limits the freedoms of the people he comes across. And if we expand out our view and we think about the other villains in the stories, characters like Morgoth or Sauron or Saruman, we end up coming across something very similar. Not only do these characters seek to control, they seek power. And again, power by itself, drive, ambition, isn't necessarily an evil thing. It's their methods that make them evil. Corruption. I mean, one of the phrases that goes around in society and has been kind of big over the last five or ten years is gaslighting. Recasting the past, the old conversation, the events that happened previously, and framing them in a way that isn't exactly the way they actually played out. Isn't reality. I have a feeling that all of these villains would be gaslighters. And not only that, not only do they frame things and change things in the past, but they manipulate and control into the future. And then let's think about another villain, the ring itself, the ring of power, Sauron's ring. Not only does it give the wielder special abilities, greater power, it seeks to corrupt and control them over time. It takes away their free will. 
This is an interesting theme, and I think you're going to notice this among other villains as we move through the stories. So keep that all in your back pocket. This episode, we're getting closer to the end, as I mentioned before. And I just I just read through this section again. And then probably the section of this episode and what'll be next episode. I think we've got maybe two episodes left. And I got to the end of it. And I've read I've read this story a number of times. I've I I know these stories. These stories are deep inside of me, right? These these are formative stories in my life. And yet I read through the last few paragraphs of this section. And unexpectedly, I, I get shivers and the feeling like I, I, I mean, I didn't actually weep, but this feeling of deep sadness. And I know these characters. It's not like I haven't read these stories before. It's not a surprise. And yet they still move me in a very deep way. So I guess that's your warning for today's episode. Things, things don't necessarily get better. This is a tragedy through and through. So prepare yourself. Here we go. All right, here we go. I hope you are all ready for this. Turin just stabbed Glorung in the stomach, and the worm rolled around on the ground and uh, went through these death throes, right? And the last thing that we talked about, Turin climbs up the rest of the, the cliffside across the other side of the river, back across the river again, and says to Glorung, Hail, worm of Morgoth, well met again. Die now, and the darkness have thee. Thus is Turin, son of Hurin, avenged. Remember this? And in this moment, he grabs the hilt of the sword, still stuck in the monster's stomach or chest, his underbelly, somewhere in there. And when he does this, the foul black blood of Glorung spouts out it it shoots out of the hole and gets on his hand and this venomous blood is hot and toxic and it burns his hand and in this moment glorung opens his eyes still in the process of dying here and we are told that he looks upon turin with such malice that it smote him as a blow his gaze the look in his eyes The hatred, the malice of his look, was like a punch in the face. And by that stroke, and the venom, Turin falls down again into a dark swoon. This is too much for him to handle. And he looks like he's dead, and he lays on top of the sword, Gerthang. Now, he's not laying on top of the sword in a way where Gerthang is stabbing into him or anything like that. But it would be uncomfortable if he was awake enough to notice. And then Glorung's screams ring in the woods. And the rest of the people who are back at Nen Girith can hear it. And 
you have to put yourself in the shoes of these people. This group that has traveled out here, followed Neonor, Niniel, in order to find Turin again. And they hear the screams of this gigantic beast. And of course, what is the first thing that runs through their minds? But he's destroying them. He's killing everyone. And the passage says, Niniel sat and shuddered beside the falling water. And at the voice of Glarung, her darkness crept upon her again so that she could not stir from that place of her own will. It's almost like this is similar in a way to a disease that once you have it, it hides away in your body and can manifest again. For example, something like uh, chicken pox can hide away in your nervous system and manifest as shingles later on due to moments of stress or things like that. And I don't know if Tolkien was drawing from some sort of real world disease symbolism here or analogy, but that's almost what this is like. The darkness creeps on her again and basically shuts her down. And at this moment, Brandir, who was following the party, remember he followed after Neonor, and uh, he knows her, of course, as Niniel. And because he he loves her, uh, he he was brave enough now with his his limping foot in order to finally catch up. And he sees her in this terrible state. And at first he has pity for her, of course, because he cares. And uh, to pause right here, let's let's talk a little bit about him. He is an interesting character because he's not just a villain. He's not really a villain so much as he is somebody who has a different set of goals and also thinks a little bit more selfishly about himself. But he's not a villain in the same way that Glarung is a villain. He's a different kind of shade of that. And this is something I appreciate in Tolkien's works. This uh, variations of gray right? In some ways, he's just looking out for himself. In other ways, maybe he's looking out for himself too much. It's one of those kinds of things. Because in this moment, he sees her in this state. He has pity for her. But then he also thinks to himself, and before I read this out, think to yourself, who hasn't had this similar kind of thought in a situation where they might take advantage of something? He thinks, Tarembar is dead, but Ninia lives. Now it may be that she will come with me, and I will lead her away, so that we shall escape from the dragon together. Right? There's there's nothing wrong with wanting to leave with her, to be with her. He feels like he loves her. He wants to keep her safe. He wants to be safe. Uh, on a fundamental level, that's not evil, but it is a bit misguided and he's definitely not acting like a leader he's not being valiant and protecting the rest of his people he's thinking about himself and the one other person he really really cares about and that's it see it's shades of gray we wouldn't call him a good guy for this but he's not as terrible as sauron and so he stands by her he grabs her hand, and, and he tries to get her attention. Come, it is time to go. If you will, I will lead you. He takes her hand, and she arises slowly and starts to follow him. And we're also told that in this situation, it is dark. 
and the rest of the party does not see them leave. And as they're going, the moon rises and casts a gray light on the land. Remember, the moon is a celestial body brought to the heavens by the Valar. The light of the moon is inspired by the silver tree from Valinor. There's a reason why the moon is mentioned here. And in this moment, Niniel says, Is this the way? And Brandir answered that he knew no way save to flee as they might from Glarung and escape into the wild. But Niniel said, The black sword was my beloved and my husband. I seek him only do I go. It's as if the light of the moon not only shrinks back the darkness of the night, but also the darkness in her own soul. And she leaves. She runs out back toward where Turin and Glarung are. And of course, Brandir has to limp behind in order to try to catch up again. And here's the next passage. Thus she came towards the crossings of Tiglin and beheld Hod and Elith in the white moonlight and dread, great dread, came on her. Then with a cry, she turned away, casting off her cloak and fled southward along the river and her white raiment shone in the moon. She's glowing. This creates not only a scene that is beautiful, a white dressed young woman running through the darkness lit by the glow of the moon in the midst of all of this darkness. There may also be some symbolism here, white representing purity Niniel has done nothing wrong. She is simply a victim. Brandir reaches a point where he can see her running out to where this beast lies. And she continues on and basically ignores the dying dragon because she sees a man at his side. She runs up to that man, realizes that that is Turimbar, that is Turin. And she calls his name in vain. Then she notices that his hand is burned, and so she washes it with her tears. She tears a strip of her clothing, the white cloth. She wraps it, cleans it, kisses him, and cries on him, attempting to wake him. And it's in this moment that Glarung stirs for the last time. This is the passage. Thereat Glarung stirred for the last time ere he died, and he spoke with his last breath, saying, Hail, Nienor, daughter of Hurin, we meet again ere the end. I give thee joy that thou hast found thy brother at last, and now thou shalt know him, a stabber in the dark, treacherous to foes, faithless to friends, and a curse unto his kin. Turin, son of Hurin, but the worst of all his deeds thou shalt feel in thyself. And with those stinging, terrible words, Glarung dies. And in this moment, the text says, the veil of his malice was taken from her, and she remembered all the days of her life. Can you imagine 
being in such a tragic moment, already tragic. She's afraid that Turin is dead. And then on top of it, the words of this villain revealing the truth that he stole from her. And then Glarung dies and she can remember everything. Not only does it sound like it might be true, but it is. And she knows it. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, it is time to talk to our patrons and welcome all our new patrons. Thank our current existing patrons and just tell you all how much I appreciate you. Welcome to the Patreon. We have Katrina H, Connor P, Heather, Katie S, uh, Nathan B, and that's it. Those are our those are our new patrons this week. So thank you so much for for signing up. I hope you are enjoying the show. I hope you're enjoying all the the benefits you get, the ad free episodes, getting them a day early, the bonus episodes if you are signed up at the second tier, all of that stuff. Thank you so much for your support. And thank you to all 188 of our patrons. And especially our VIP patrons who get shout outs every week. Bo, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, David M, Esoteric Rage, Jesse P, Capenna 009, Larry, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Patrick W, Sam B, Shannon L, Tyler M, and Wes P. Thank you to all of you. 
And we've got some new reviews this week. Oh, and by the way, if you want to check out the Patreon, there's a link in the show notes, or you can go to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast and check it out there. We've got three new reviews this week. These are shorter than we sometimes get, so this should be fairly quick. The first one comes from Jordan Lockett in the United States, who writes, this dude, five stars, he's sick, for real, five stars. I... I don't feel sick. I hope I'm, that's a, that was an easy joke, wasn't it? Thank you, Jordan. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, then we have Shebaelaine. Sheba 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 Elaine. It's all one word. I don't know. From the United States, he writes: Lorecast noob just started and can't stop listening. I'm ADD and dyslexic, so I struggle with some of the older languages. And I know Tolkien isn't quite Old English. Yeah, he's a few centuries away from Old English, but it's still pretty difficult for me to read. Absolutely. It is a antiquated English. I think that might be what we want to call that. Um, So, yeah, so it's quite Old English and it's pretty difficult for me. I've always been so curious about the Tolkien lore, and this podcast has really scratched that itch. Also, the host has a really calming way of speaking that makes it easier to keep up with. 10 out of 10. Thank you so much, Sheba Elaine. I'm going to call you Sheba Elaine, and uh, I appreciate it. Then we've got one more from Ryan Bear 01. I think that's how you say this one from the U- also from the U.S. Uh, this one says, as a new fan, amazing. My boyfriend recommended this podcast to help introduce me to the LOTR universe. Never did I think that I would become actually intrigued and excited to learn about all the lore. Thanks for making getting into my boyfriend's special interest so easy and pleasing shout out to kevin for introducing me to this podcast and lotr in general kevin thank you so much for sharing the show i appreciate that and ria bear thank you for the review if you would like to help me out leaving a five-star review on apple podcasts will be read out in the future that helps a ton also rating on spotify or whatever platform you're on or be like kevin and share share stuff with people or any of that stuff. I, I really do appreciate it. So that's going to do it for the middle of this episode. Let's get back to the rest of the story. Again, we we absolutely need to try to understand the kinds of feelings that Neonor would be having in this moment. This is, I mean, I can't think of a situation. There are tragic situations in our own real world. Many of us have gone through moments in our lives where we have, we've been at our lowest. We've, uh, we've survived terrible things and I'm not going to go through a list of different terrible things because I don't really want to trigger those things in anybody's memories, but the real world can be dark and terrible. Now imagine that you are Neonor in this situation and you know everything that has transpired. And on top of that, you're standing there looking at your dead or what you think might be dead brother slash husband somebody you love and have loved in two different ways this moment is one of the most i don't know dastardly pieces of writing that tolkien has ever done 
The villains in his stories have done terrible things. But there's something about this, this combination, which is so invasive, so perverse. It really is amazing for a writer who tends to keep their writing very clean with the specific words that they use. Tolkien, you can't ever describe Tolkien as crass. He can sure come up with some really twisted things and ways that these things can go bad. And again, this all goes back to inspiration from myth, from old stories, from twists that are Shakespearean and older. This is dark stuff. So in this moment, and I'm just going to read the passage here. Looking down upon Turin, she cried, Farewell, O twice beloved. Ah, Turin Turumbar, Turin Abartanen. She's using elven words here. Master of doom by doom mastered. O happy to be dead. Then Brandare, who had heard all, standing stricken upon the edge of ruin, hastened towards her, but she ran from him, distraught with horror and anguish, and coming to the brink of Carib and Aris, she cast herself over and was lost into the wild water. Then Brandare came and looked down and turned away in horror, and though he no longer desired life, he could not seek death in that roaring water. And therefore no man looked upon Carid and Aris, nor would any beast or bird come there, nor any tree grow, and it was named Cabid Neramarith, the leap of dreadful doom. So let's pause a moment here. This this uh, wording, it's not wording, the situation here where somebody dies in a tragic way or a very noble character and the the sight of their death becomes holy is something that happens a number of times through Tolkien's works and in this specific case Neonor who has been manipulated lied to thrown into the darkness stripped of her memories dies in a most tragic way and no living beings disturb the sight of her final rest. This is something that it seems like must come from the powers that be, the Valar, or maybe Iluvatar. We're never quite described exactly what this is. But keep this again in your back pocket because there's another moment that will remind you of this that becomes even more interesting as history progresses. So after this moment, Brandir makes his way back to Nengirith in order to bring tidings to the people. And on his way, and, and this is something I find interesting, he runs into Dorlis. Remember, Dorlis is one of the three, the Turin and two other people went to go uh, encounter the dragon, I guess we can say. And Dorlis was one of them, but he turns back. And yet, Dorlis was the one who spoke up against Brandir for not being brave enough in order to do what was right. And in this moment, Brandir runs into Dorlis in the woods. And it simply says, And slew him. 
the first blood that he had ever spilt and the last. The one time that Brandir gains the nerve or whatever to fight an enemy physically, he attacks Dorlis and kills him. And I think that this might be a final insight into his character, the kind of person he truly is. Because why kill Dorlis in this moment unless for spite and because he was bitter about Dorlis talking up against him and showing him up by being brave enough to go out on this adventure and then still not brave enough to actually confront the dragon? It's an interesting moment. And I think it shows us that we know that this is a gray character, but maybe he's a darker shade of gray than we would have assumed previously. And he came to Nengirith. And men cried to him, Have you seen her? For Niniel is gone. And he answers, Niniel is gone forever. The dragon is dead, and Turumbar is dead. And those tidings are good. Those tidings are good. And the people murmured at these words, saying that he was crazed. But Brandir said, Hear me to the end. Niniel the Beloved is also dead. She cast herself into Tiglin, desiring life no more, for she learned that she was none other than Nianor, daughter of Hurin of Dorloman, ere her forgetfulness came upon her, and that Turumbar was her brother, Turin, son of Hurin. He reveals everything. He tells them all of the details. And in this moment, we go from, I don't know, a character who was self-serving. And don't get me wrong, when I talk about him being more of a gray character than a, a dark, a terrible, evil character, I'm not saying that he's necessarily good or not kind of creepy and has been from the beginning. Don't misunderstand me there at all. He's kind of a creeper and has been like that this entire time. But there's this undertone in this dialogue that he might enjoy communicating this like oh this is some juicy gossip you guys are gonna you guys are wait till you hear this but it's good news because of how terrible that was or something that's that's the vibe i get here and then we get this moment but even as he ceased and the people wept turin himself came before them for when the dragon died, his swoon left him, and he fell into a deep sleep of weariness. But the cold of the night troubled him, and the hilts of Girthang drove into his side, and he awoke. Then he saw that one had tended his hand, and he wondered much that he was left nonetheless to lie upon the cold ground, and he called. And hearing no answer, he went in search of aid, for he was weary and sick. Turin wakes up, realizes that someone has been there, someone cared enough to tend his burnt and toxic hand. I would imagine it's probably charred black at this point. And yet they left him there. Who would do this? Where did they go? What transpired while he was asleep? And so he heads back and he runs into this group of people. 
wanting to know what happened. But we know, we the readers, know what happened. And we know when he finds out that he's not going to be too happy about it. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.